When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. I'm Antonia Blythe, Senior Awards Editor. My guest this week is Kieran Culkin. Right now, he's Emmy-nominated for the second time for his role as Roman Roy in the HBO series Succession. The show received a record 14 acting nominations this year and is currently shooting its fourth season. Kieran Culkin, welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. So you're shooting season four at the moment, right? Yeah, shop today. How's that going? It's going well. I think it's actually going quite well. It's uh, it's awesome because I'm also just like a fan of the show. So when the scripts come in, I just get excited, like what's going to happen. And uh, it's great because it's it's uh, the first episode we got. It felt like, oh, this is the show again. It's like we're back. It felt, and then in the next couple, it just feels like, oh, it's actually it's kind. It feels different, um, which is great it's like it's a great different it's like not leaning on it's uh resting on its laurels or whatever it's 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 still very much the show but it feels like it's going in a direction that i did not anticipate so i mean you can definitely tell the writers don't rest on their laurels when it comes to roman a hundred percent um with this last season three we really saw a kind of whole new underbelly of him like this kind of trauma roots um his weird kind of flip side um that you kind of see this tenderness where he does care so much about family whereas the others care more for just power I feel like you get to see the heart of where he's hurt I know that I I, at least I feel that he uh definitely still carries with him that that thing about family and I think he just assumes everyone does in the family too. Like, yeah, we're all playing this game and, you know, uh, and, and you know what? I'm pretty excellent at this damn game too. I can throw insults at you. I can win this game. I can screw you over and, you know, take over the company and make you look terrible and ruin your careers. But see you at Thanksgiving. It's going to be great. I love you guys. <laughs> it was cool to see like um, Roman. I think even starting season two, you got to see like him taking the business more seriously. Because I was honestly getting to a point where I was in scenes, I'm like, okay, I'm the COO here, and all I'm doing is making dick jokes. Uh, there's got to be a re- like, why? Why do you keep inviting this guy to the meeting when all he does is disrupt, interject, and then walks away, going, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like, there's got to there's got to be something to him that gets it, and I got to really, I knew it was there, but I got to really like see it and and explore it in these episodes that this is a guy who actually can go into a meeting like go up to people like Matson and go I understand the deal I know what we want I don't need to think it through I don't need to be prepped or anything like that just get me in a room with the guy and I'll talk to him and that's it and he can do that and that's a huge thing for the company I think that's something that made Logan very successful that maybe his other kids don't really have that Roman has so where he lacks in some areas I think he's you know quite good in others yeah it's it's an interesting character that's for sure he's a really singular personality um I do wonder about what it's like to kind of live in him when you're shooting like do you take it 
home with you. I, I, I was listening to Stephen Colbert, your interview with Stephen Colbert uh, recently, and just cracking up because, you know, uh, there's that whole bit about how Jay Smith Cameron, who plays Jerry, throws a drink in your face. And it did sound like the way you described the whole situation as to how you goaded her into it, it felt really Romanesque to me. <laughs> and that was not when you were shooting, that was at a dinner. So, Yeah, it was right after a table read though. So it was like, we did a day of shooting, the day of shooting ended, then we did a table read and then we had a dinner. So yeah, in terms of like carrying that with you, there, there certainly is a bit of momentum. There's like an excitement of the day of shooting and doing that stuff. And then there's the excitement of the table reading and all the new stuff we get to play with and, and hear for the first time. And then we're having dinner and, and there's, you know, Jay being all Jerry-ish and I just, you know, all geriatric and I, you know, couldn't help but, you know, go there and toss a freaking drink in my face. I mean, yeah, I, I'm going to say, having heard exactly what you said to her about her ears being long like an old person's, you might have deserved it a little bit. I, I mean, I clearly did. She's just, you You don't even need to know the story. If you found out that Jay threw a drink in someone's face, the response is, well, that person obviously deserved it. <laughs> she could not be nicer and sweeter and like just, you know mature and, and professional and then you know there she goes throwing a drink in my face what do you think obviously <laughs> um what uh, do you do your family ever just say hey what's roman doing in here does he creep into life at home ever mm, never, not quite to that degree there's just you know it's sort of hard to turn off the it's more the like speed uh like i come home and my heart rate is just a little bit faster and you know and i and my wife i can tell she's looking at me very polite a little smile on her face but in, in her head she shut the fuck up it's just like i don't care about your work stuff please stop talking to me i, I would like to clean the kitchen and eat uh, you know put the kids down clean the kitchen eat and you're talking to me about some bullshit that i don't care about and you're talking way too fast <laughs> dad life right just get on with it <laughs> i get home and i get put to work that's that's the thing i had a really like hard week of work last week and I uh, came home uh, Friday night and it was just right to work and that whole weekend I did not I did not get a five minute break to do anything it was just but I loved it it was like great it was like cooking for the kids and I cook for my wife and clean and all this stuff and just but then you know put the kids down for a nap take one to the playground do the thing it's great and then go to sleep wake up at 6 30 in the morning do the same thing and then the next day wake up at like 5 30 in the morning to go to work and it just doesn't stop and I talked to uh Jeremy about this because he phrased I was explaining it about how I didn't get like we all had this really hard week and then I go and it's like some people a couple people were saying like go relax go do something nice for yourself and I just laugh like you have no idea two young kids yeah there's no yeah just go like really do something nice for yourself doesn't happen and I told Jeremy and he went to see his family and he goes I guess because of the week I had um because when I walked in to see my family I, I guess I expected trumpets but my wife just said, could you please take out the garbage and uh, do the dishes, please? And he just did. <laughs> like, that's just what you did. It's fine. Trumpets. I thought that was like perfect. I was expecting something like a hug. How was work? Something. It was like, you take the kids. I've had them all week. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, so I know you're probably not going to tell me much about this, but is there any kind of hint as to what we can expect from season four? Um, that you can kind of 
say something vague about without getting in trouble? No, not even a little, but I only know as far as like the table read we did the other day um, when Jay threw the drink in my face was just episode four. So, and that was an early draft and that's as far as I know. Um, so no, and even if I had some like idea of where the whole season was going or something, of course, I'm not going to just throw it out. No one ever does. No one ever tells me anything. <laughs> you also don't want to freaking hear it. You just don't. I do, but the fans would probably hate me. Yeah, you wouldn't though, because then you would know something and then it would probably change or it might be the same and then you've ruined it. Mm, fair point. I'll take that. Um, so, you know, we have 20 questions to get through, right? So I... Uh, I and I actually, so, you know, you know, I was like sent them. I don't know if that's like cheating. And then I like read the first two and I was like, you know what? I can't prepare. I don't want to prepare for this. So... I figured I figured you were an off the cuff kind of brain. So yeah, but now that I've done that, I've set myself up for absolute <laughs> failure. There's going to be so many times that we should like have a ticker that counts how many times I say, "Oh, I don't know, I don't have an answer for that." Pass. Next, move on. Luckily, I've got some extras because I anticipate that. So every time it happens. <laughs> All right. So number one, your favorite thing about your current project? Oh. Shit, I don't have an answer. Pass. Um, <laughs> uh, favorite thing, God, there's just so much. It really is. It's just spoiled rotten. I was talking to Matthew McFadden today about it, about how like you know, would we would we want another season or do we like you know you know uh, and you know what if it ended and you know would that be okay and stuff like that and it's like he said, I simply wouldn't want it to end just because I love working with all these people. And I just, uh, I have to agree with that. It's just one of a kind job. And I'm terrified of getting involved in an actual, some other kind of job um, that I, I would, I'm going to want to like pour my heart into it the way that I do with this and the way that everybody does. And it's all hands on deck and it's everybody's helping the other and, just the way that we go and the way that we work is very different from anything I've ever worked on. And I just don't ever want to be on a set where somebody's kind of half-assed learning their lines on their, you know, blah, 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 blah on their phone. I got like, sorry, you got to wait five. I'm on a phone or, or some shit, you know, like we all take this work very seriously. We work very hard and it makes it, it just makes it great. And I just don't want anything else like that. So the people is the short answer. Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll shorten it. The people. I oh, know that's great. There's no need to uh, condense. I love it. Um, what was the moment you realized that you wanted to act? Obviously, you've been doing it a long time. But was there a moment as a child where you it crystallized for you? As a child? No. Um, it came around. God, I got to remember. I think it was season one or season two of the show. Um, because I've been doing it since I was a child. And then suddenly around the age of, I don't know, 19 or 20, uh, I found that I had a career, like somebody used the word career and I went, hold on, what? No, I never chose this. You can't just tell me I have a career when I was six and they said, I'm an actor. It doesn't work that way. Like I can't have a career. So I kind of like freaked out. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And in the meantime, I would do, I was doing acting cause it wasn't, I didn't have any other job. Uh, but I thought like, eventually I'll figure out what it is I want to do. And it was working on this job. And it was just one day, cause I had done another job before where I realized I was very comfortable on a set. And then I was working on succession. I felt very comfortable on a set. 
whenever I have a question, I know to like go to the script supervisor for a timeline or go to the costume person. This is that we move very fast. And I just felt very comfortable on set. And I was just took a step back and I went, okay, I think this, I'm, I think I was about 36 years old. And I'm like, I think I figured out what I want to do. It's this thing that I've been doing for about 30 years. I want to <laughs> keep doing that. That's brilliant. You woke up in the middle of your own life, just going, this is cool. Yeah. took a while. I had a lot of like angst and a lot of, I was just pushing against it. I think for 30 years before I, I didn't just accept it. I was like, no, this is it. This is what I like doing. Yeah. That's, that's actually brilliant. It's funny, isn't it? How, when you didn't actively make a choice, you don't have that kind of, I don't want to say that well-worn word gratitude. That's really tawdry, but you know, you don't have that feeling of having achieved the thing you set out to do until you kind of wanted it. And then it's different. I don't know that you should have a feeling of gratitude for achieving the thing you pursued. <laughs> That's just me. It's like, you just be like, you shouldn't be like, hooray, just shut up. You did it. <laughs> you sound so British when you say things like that. Now my wife is English, so it's probably rubbed off on me after 11 years. So I was going to say, that is such a, a, a sort of British mentality. It's like, no, there's no cheering. Just shut yeah. up. No. <laughs> you did the thing. What do you want? Fucking trumpets? Shut up. Yeah, take the trash That's out. Trash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have an early childhood inspirational figure in your life, like someone that really affected you? I think that's when I stopped reading the questions. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's when I was like, okay, there's no way I can have like an actual answer to this. I don't even know what that means. What, like an inspiration? Like what, what, how would know. you? Like if someone asked me that question, I'd say like, I, I know there was a teacher in school at a certain age who, who said, oh, you should be doing blah, blah, blah. And made me feel like I could do it. But oh. I don't know if that would be, if it's not relevant to your life, we can come up with another question. I mean, I just don't know, like inspiration. I just don't, yeah, feel like there there was that. You said teacher, so I thought of this one tutor I had who was great because, but I don't know that that's the same. She was just talking to me about, uh, um, it was Miss Mayer was her name. She was talking to me about like uh, World War II was the subject, history, I think seventh grade, eighth grade, something like that. And I said, oh, I didn't know that. She goes, well, yeah, it's in the text. And she took the textbook and she couldn't find it. And she couldn't flip. She goes, that's not in here. And she took it and she threw it in the garbage. And she goes, <laughs> and I was like, that's my textbook. She goes, I'm just going to tell it to you. And she just, every like Wednesday and Friday, I think I saw her after school. And she just would talk to me about World War II. And I thought, that's a cool way. Because I got fascinated. It was the, like, I, history was my worst subject, except when we did World War II, because she was a brilliant teacher. But that does not answer the question. It's just... I think it well, it maybe didn't inspire your career, but I think the way she just was really like, you know what, you don't have to do things by the book, quite literally, you don't. Yeah, you don't, yeah. And and it made it interesting. Oh, I guess I could learn. And then by the time we jumped to the next subject, it wasn't interesting to me, so I failed again. So <laughs> I was like that with like English class too. If we had a book I didn't like, I just wouldn't read it and I just wouldn't do the work. And the teacher would say, you're going to fail. And I would say, well, that's fine because I didn't read Tess of the Durbervilles because I couldn't do it. It was boring the hell out of me. And she's like, well, then I'm going to fail. You said, that's fine. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm just not going to read it. <laughs> and the next book will come and I would love it and I would do all the work for it. So you just needed a, a bit of an unorthodox teaching style, sounds like. Yeah, I guess. Otherwise, you were bored. Um, Good subject. Uh, so, wait, what posters did you have on your bedroom wall as a child or a teenager? 
That's good. Uh, I don't think I had any. Um, I got my first bedroom when I was nine and I hated it because I had spent between zero and nine sharing a big room with all my siblings. We all were in the same room. And so I think when I got my own room, uh, I hated it. And I just kept trying to sleep with my different siblings and I didn't properly get my own room until I was like 13. And I think like posters then was like sort of not a thing. I, I like, I wouldn't have done, I would have felt like dorky at 13 putting up a poster in my room. Oh, I got one. When I was nine and I had that room, my brother Shane, I think in an effort to get me to stop sleeping in his room, um, took his uh, the inside booklet of his NXS CD, NXS X, which the cover was just NXS with like a fist. And if you took it out and unfolded it, it was a poster. And he put that in my room because I guess he thought that that would keep me interested in staying in my room. And were you into In Excess back then? I did. Yeah, really. He loved In Excess and I loved any music he was into. So yeah, In Excess was my favorite band when I was like nine and 10. Oh, I love them. R.I.P. Michael Hutchins. I know. Really awesome. Yeah. Um, do you remember the first movie you ever saw in the theater? Short answer, no, but I because chronologically confused, but I do remember seeing, um, I remember seeing Willow in the theater when I was a kid. Uh, I remember seeing Fox and the Hound. And then I remember, and this wouldn't have been my first movie. It was one of my first. This is a, another story about my brother, Shane. He took me to go see Back to the Future 3. And I walked out of that theater going, that is the best movie I've ever seen. That's my favorite movie. And I remember him laughing. And I was like, what, did I say something stupid? I thought we all sort of thought this was the best movie we've ever seen. <laughs> That's really cute. How so? You would have been what? How old at that point? Yeah, I have to look that up. I was born in '82, so I'll I'll do the math later. Shall I? <laughs> I don't know. Probably. Yeah. Okay. So, um, was there a TV or film character you wanted to be growing up? Mm, no, growing up, no. Like my favorite shows were like Thundercats and like. WWF wrestling so I'm not sure that I wanted to be Panthero or the Ultimate Warrior but I thought they were cool as hell <laughs> yeah, I'm with you I got it um what's the weirdest job you've ever had weirdest job I've ever had well I mean I've never had a job other than acting so it'd have to be an acting job I guess um not that I've had too many weird ones I've had bad ones um, I had, I, I had one that I've never seen, but I hear is terrible. Um, I was in a movie called, uh, it's called movie 43. I've had so many people being like, oh, you're in that movie. I'm like, yeah, the, yeah, that movie's terrible. <laughs> I've had people tell me that like, they, it must've been so bad where they felt that they could just tell me that, um, I'm sure, but I wasn't supposed to be in it. I was a last minute replacement. I think two days before, like whoever the actor so then it was just like, ask, like, would you do this thing? And I read the scene. I was like, this is weird. What's it about? And they're like, eh, it's a whole bunch of like little movies. And I was like, could I see the other movies? Like, no, they haven't written them yet. Just, just, it's this one. And I don't know. You were so that was a weird job. You were jumped, man. Yeah. Last minute replacement. I had no context. I just said yes and did it. So that was a weird job. Um, okay. So what was the last time you cried? Yesterday. Wow, I love it. A man in touch with his feelings. That's awesome. I had a tough day. Uh, you had a tough day? Tough day. Tough week. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, all right, you're packing your nuclear bunker. What do you take in there to watch? How long am I in there? Or is that just to feed the whole like it's a sort of open-ended situation because how long hope might be lost. I still have like a gigantic collection of DVDs, even though nobody watches them anymore. And when I suggest putting one on, somebody goes, Why? We could just go to fucking Disney Plus and put it on. And I'm still putting the goddamn DVD on. So I'll just bring all of those um, to watch. <laughs> uh, I would go right for comfort. I would go for like The Simpsons and uh, like Taxi, which is my favorite sitcom. Oh, Jess. That. Oh my God, I grew up watching that. I did a review of it like about a year, almost a year ago. I didn't complete it, but it, is, it really holds up. It's fantastic. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What would you take in the bunker to read? All I've read in the last three years since becoming a father is fucking Fox and Socks. Um, so, <laughs> and you know what? I love it. It's a great, it's now my favorite book. Uh, cool. <laughs> all I read is kid book. My daughter's really into Dragons Love Tacos. Uh, I don't know. Let me try to, let me, oh, you know what I would, you know what I'd read as a reread? Uh, my, uh, my daughter, as I said, is not, Starting three soon, but I put the Princess Bride on for her, thinking you know she's not going to want to sit through the whole thing, and uh, she went through it once and loved it. And a couple of weeks later, she started talking about it, and she wanted me for a bedtime story for me to tell her the story of the Princess Bride. So every night I tell her a little bit more of the story until I get to the end, and then she makes me start over. So it takes about four or five days to get through the story, and she'll remember where we left off. She goes, "Where we left off, Daddy?" And I said, "Do you remember?" She goes, "Cups of insanity." Um, and she also loves the giant rat part. That's like her favorite. The really violent part where the rat like bites Wesley in the shoulders is her like favorite part. She's three. She's three and she remembers it. Almost three. Not even three yet. Her memory is outstanding. Um, and she's really with it. And I told her that it was a book and she was like, no, silly, it's a movie. And I said, no, there's a book. And daddy read it, but I don't actually own it because I borrowed a copy. So I would bring a copy of The Princess Bride to read to my daughter. When you do the reenactment for her, do you do the whole marriage? Is it safe? I don't know, because <laughs> that one I think she couldn't quite understand. But there's parts that she knows are funny. There's the, the um, I think his character's name is like the albino, oh, something. He's the one who comes down to clean up Wesley when Wesley's tied to the... to the. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he cleans him up. And Wesley wakes up and says, uh, uh, who are you? Where am I? And the guy goes, the pit of despair. Don't even think. <clears throat> don't even think about trying to Skype. And my daughter laughs her ass off at that part every time, and she makes me do that. You're good at that one. That's so. <laughs> if there's ever a remake, um, yeah, you got to be. If there's ever a remake, the people trying to remake it should just be shot. Yeah. No, I think <laughs> I, I agree with you. Yes, yes. But you know, everyone has to remake everything now, so. Yeah, but don't remake what they should do. What people should be remaking are the movies that had a really good idea but kind of missed the mark. Mm. 
not the ones that are like, oh, you remember Princess Bride? We're about to ruin it right now by making it again. That movie is perfect. Leave it alone. It is so perfect. I remember hearing rumors that they might remake The Goonies. I was like, don't do that. The Goonies oh is God. great. Oh my God, sacrilege. No, 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 no. Just watch it. Put it on. Buy the DVD like <laughs> I did and put it on. I mean, Sean Astin giving that speech. This is our time. You know, I mean, it's just... It's fantastic. He also, he calls Josh Brolin Josh once. The, there is something buried in there, Josh. It, it's, <laughs> I didn't even know movie. that. Oh, it's great. There's so many great things about that movie. I, I watched it so many times. There's um, something that doesn't make sense is Mouth. Everybody has a purpose on their journey, like to get them through the end. And Mouth's is that he can translate the map. And he translates from Spanish to English. But if the map was written in Spanish, how come it translates to English in rhyme? oh my god it doesn't make any sense why didn't i think that has never entered my head but that you're oh my god yeah and next time you watch be like wait so that doesn't make sense these were spanish people making them it doesn't make any sense oh my god you've just ruined it oh god (laughs) (laughs) no it's just a wonderful coincidence and the movie still works and stop overthinking it the movie's brilliant all right. What is the toughest scene you've ever had to play? Um, it might be really hard to pick one, but a tough scene then, if it's too hard. So it's like, that's not an easy question to answer because there's a couple, God, this is such an annoying answer already. Just answer the question, damn it. Um, <laughs> it's like, because I feel like last week we we did a scene that was really tough, but it was it was tough because of the volume of it. It was like, it was like half an hour long scene that took us three days to shoot. Um, and to keep that same energy, the momentum going for three days straight, it was like, it was really tough. It was emotionally tough. It was also just the amount of dialogue going back and forth and rooms that we moved to. And it was, it was extremely hard. And it was like, um, it was like being a pressure cooker of like, normally this should take a few weeks to make and you have three days, go. We run out of sun at six o'clock, like, and it was really hard, but it was really rewarding. And um, I feel like it was it sort of, I feel like it helped me grow as a person, if not just an actor. So like, it was really tough, but it was great. Tough to me though, the, the real answer to that question is when like, one of two things, you're doing a scene that you know isn't working and you have no solve, or like one where you know it should work because you've read it on the page and it fucking works. And for some reason it's not working today. So I don't know that I have a specific answer to that, but there are days when you go, I just can't make this work and I know it works. And I, the obstacle must be me because I can't, it must be me because I've read it, the, everyone else is doing their job and it should work and it's not working. So that that those are tough. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you a time a character really got in your head and went home with you, but I think we sort of covered that a bit with Roman probably got probably got there there was another one and I was 18 I did a movie Igby goes down and that guy just stayed with me for a long time if not still now what what sticks with you about Igby I I feel like looking back because I was you know I was 18 um and and I took that job very it was the first job I really took seriously I feel like that was my first real job that was my first adult job and the writer director burst years worked really hard um and closely with me and that was the first time I felt like I was really doing scene work and trying to understand a character and 
I read that script for months. I was off book for months before we got started uh, on that. And I think what stuck with me was more just the language. I just think the way that he spoke was not the way that I used to speak. And I think I then it sort of carried on from there. But that was just sort of what my language began with, you know? Like, do you, do you mean rhythmically or? or yeah. 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 I think so. And and like timing, like he had a very specific way. He had, he had like a very specific kind of timing, I think. Yeah. You were at a certain age, I suppose, where, you know, when you were 18, it's, I think every, every 18 year old is quite spongy still for those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, oh, uh, nothing. Keep going, dude, because it, it brought me here and I like here. So keep going, dude. You should get that on a t shirt. Um, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> a time you were starstruck. You know, I really don't get that. Um, I just don't. I feel like most of the like people I otherwise would have been starstruck by, I met while working. And there's, I think because of that dynamic, you just don't because they're, they're my coworker now. And that started when I was a little kid. Like I remember like loving Steve Martin in movies. And then I was on set with him. And even as a kid, I was a starstruck because I was like, oh, this is the guy I have to say the lines to. And mm -hmm. So I never had that, but I got a good, I got a good um, starstruck story about my, my wife who otherwise is, is, cool too she does not she doesn't really usually get starstruck but there's like a handful of people that i know if she met she would like she would probably just burst into flames if she met keanu reeves um really yeah that's one there's like stephen fry and maggie smith stephen fry yeah she loves oh, maggie fry. smith well maggie yeah smith. she's a brit she's a brit yeah, angel lansbury too but that's actually from like her time in california when she was watching murder she wrote when she was like you know, in college or whatever. I mean, my dad's obsessed with Angela Lansbury, so it's an unusual one for your wife. I, I, I got to meet her. She was she was sitting on a bench, and I was like, "I'm going to do this just because my wife's not here, and she's going to be pissed off." And I went, and I just, and that's what I said to Angela Lansbury. I said, "Hi, I just want to meet you because it's going to really piss my wife off that she's not here." And she laughed and took my hand and said, "Wonderful," and shook my hand. It was great. That's when you get her to like record uh, a voice note and your wife makes it her ringtone or something i think i had already you know taken up too much of her time she didn't want to talk to me anymore I, i'm shameless I, I did that with dave grohl i made him him say that he loved my friend and she made it into her ringtone <laughs> was, he, was he was he nice about it or was he like oh okay i'll be nice but please go away no he he on well she wasn't well at the time so he honestly he couldn't have been more into it. He was really, really lovely about it. And I wouldn't have asked if I didn't get that sense. No, that, that, that's, that's, that's good. And some people are good at that. And sometimes it's not like people ask Brian Cox all the time. Can you tell me to fuck off? And it's like, you know, what's great about that is he really, really wants to tell them to fuck off. <laughs> it's it, he, They're going to get the genuine article right there. Brian Cox telling you to fuck off. Oh, no, I, I, yeah, I would never do that. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, in this job, you don't, it, like you, you don't feel sort of starry about people. And so you don't make them do some kind of performative thing for you out of their role. Because it just seems so, it's your job to 
talk to them. It's yeah. just too odd. Yeah. And it shifts the dynamic when you do something like this isn't a Star Trek starstruck moment because I wasn't, I didn't feel starstruck, but I was at um like some event thing. I was like, a, I was somebody's plus one at an event. And I, I felt like I didn't belong there. And Richard Donner was there and he was also somebody's plus one. So I thought I should go up to him and be like, you know, I was like, hey, by the way, like The Goonies is one of my favorite movies. And because I did that, I think the the dynamic in that moment where he met me was like, oh, here comes another nerd. And then he just started like fucking with me. <laughs> He's like, you can't go in there wearing that. I'm like, what? I was like, yeah, they, they'll, they'll stop you at the door. You can't wear that. And I was like, oh, I think what I'm wearing is fine. And then I would like go and have to like, I was calling people and be figuring out like what I have to wear. I was like, He's fucking with you. Like, oh, I should never have told him I liked his movie. That was that was that was where I went wrong. But that makes me really like him. That's me too, actually. Yeah, because I was like 20 and I was just like nervous. I was like, I should have said even. I want to tell, tell my wife's um Starstruck story really fast because another one she's really into is Timothy Oliphant. Oh yeah. Yeah. My uh he did a play that my uh friend Kenny Lonergan uh wrote and we went to go see the last performance. So mm -hmm. afterwards. Uh, we were at a party and I said to my wife and I knew how much she liked, liked him. I said, let's go talk to him. She's like, absolutely not. I'm not talking to him. I was like, let's go. Like, it's easy. We just saw him in a show. Just say good job. And she just wouldn't do it. So I said to Kenny, I was like, by the way, like she loves Timothy Olyphant. And he goes, well, you got to meet him then. My wife grabs me and says, absolutely not. Kenny taps him on the shoulder, turns him around. And my wife, like, I can feel her shaking. And I shook his hand and said, I'm Kieran, uh, you did a great job. And he goes, oh, thanks. This is my wife, Jazz. And my wife silently shook his hand. And I said, uh, you know, you, you, my wife has a huge crush on you. Like, you're a oh, huge God. I said, you're, you're a huge threat to my marriage right now. And he went, really? And he looked at her and goes, well, you're playing it really cool. And my wife's response was literally this. She opened her mouth to speak, and then she hid behind Kenny Shoulderman as he <laughs> couldn't speak. And then as we left, as we were leaving the party, as we were about to get out the door, he was ne next to the door and I saw her clock it and try to like look away. And he just went, good night, Jazz. <laughs> and she just went, I couldn't speak to the man. My God, you really threw her under that bus though. Yep. Yeah. She didn't, she didn't utter a word, couldn't. Oh, poor thing. That was excruciating. Um, what is your proudest working achievement so far? Oh, uh, well, we're working achievement. What do you mean by working achievement? Was it like just something at work that's happened that, that something you've at my job? Out. Yeah. Oh, didn't I cover this with you? Shouldn't feel achievement. Um. <laughs> we can we can move on if you. Uh, if you... Hold on, I feel like I can. I got one. Yeah, yeah, I got one. Um. Uh, uh, back in like 2002, I did a, I did a play, This Is Our Youth, it's Kenny Lonergan again, and I played the character Warren, and I felt like I didn't get it. I didn't like crack it. It was a great job. I love the experience. It's my favorite play. I love reading it, but I had the sense of like, I couldn't, I didn't do it, and I kind of want to do it again, and I kept reading it, and I couldn't quite crack it, and then after a couple of years of that, I looked at the other character, Dennis, and the reason I didn't notice him before was because how he's written. He's this like alpha male tall handsome jock guy the thing that i'm like not and then i looked at him i was like let me just read this character and something clicked and i went i got it and i really want this and i pursued it for about eight years and um the main part was trying to convince kenny that i can play that because it was completely different than what he had one of the things he had said was like well then i guess we could maybe do it if like 
But who would be Warren? Warren would have to be shorter than you. Are there actors that are shorter than you? Oh my god! <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> yeah, and I named I named a few. I'm not going to out these actors as being under five seven, but you know, they're 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 out there. Um, Penny not 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 having an empathetic day that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was he was being funny, but he was also being accurate because I have to like bully the bully Warren, but then also phys- like actually physically push him and tackle him to the ground, and I have to be able to do that convincingly. And I talk about how great I am at sports and all this stuff. And I'm like this little dude. So it had to like, there needed to be something else. So it took a lot of convincing him that I could. And we did like one very short production in um, Sydney, Australia. It was like a week and a half long. And I think that rehearsal process and doing that, like convinced him enough that when like about two years later, the project came up, we did it at Steppenwolf and on Broadway. So it was like being on stage, brought my first and still only Broadway production doing the play that I had set out eight years ago to do where I had to convince the playwright that I could possibly do it. That felt like a bit of an achievement. And now I feel like an ass because I feel like I'm patting myself on the back and I'm trying to like, Oh, your, your wife has schooled you. She schooled yeah. you. You ruined yeah. it for me. Now I don't like it anymore. Yeah, oh. I hate that experience. <laughs> Thanks for making me talk about it, ass. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, most meaningful feedback you've ever had it could be from a fan or it could be something you learned from a director or a writer it could be anything meaningful oh like like a like it could be like it could be negative or positive it doesn't matter it can be anything that had an impact yeah i got one i got a it, i think this is a good one whenever i've tried to tell other actors that sometimes it doesn't quite land so i i'm i I'll, I'll do my best here. It really hit me. I was 17. I was doing this movie, Dangerous Lies of Walter Boys. And the director, Peter Kerr, was describing this thing we had to do. It wasn't in the script. And it was me and Emil Hirsch, uh, the other two actors. Um, and there was four of us. They were 15. I was 17. And he wanted us to be like walking around in the woods and to take a beer and smoke a cigarette and talk about this. And we kind of did a take, but we didn't know what we were doing. And then we tried it again. We were trying to ask for direction. And he was really struggling to just get us to just go out there and be teenagers. And he was trying to explain the scene and we were trying to understand it. And we said, yeah, but one of the actors, Emil maybe was like, yeah, but I don't understand. Like, why are we doing this? And he kind of like got to the end of his tether and he just went, because you're fucking 17 or 15. I said, because you're fucking 15. And then he stormed off and one of the actors went to say something and I stopped them and I said, no, 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 no. He's right. (laughs) Sometimes you do things because you fucking do them. Stop thinking about it. Just do it. And I think that's what all he was going for. And then we just went out there and said, don't plan anything, just do the thing and then the thing will happen. And I learned that then. It isn't always that simple, but certainly like in our show in Succession, I feel like that happens a lot where it's like, I don't quite understand what this is yet, but let's just like do it. And then that's what it is. Yeah, because humans don't think through their actions necessarily either. So you don't, you don't have a script in life is what you're saying. Yeah, there's that. And it's also like, uh, I see actors really, really trying hard to like feel the thing that their character's feeling when people most of the time have no idea what they're actually feeling. Mm, that is so true. But they fight against that feeling. And I always, whenever I see an actor doing that, I'm like, that's not the point. Your character would not be going, I want to feel that thing you just said to me. That's not what the hell it is. There was a, I can't remember what the line is now. So this is going to be sort of a useless story. But um, there was a line in the show, I think somewhere around season two, and I had a feeling that it didn't have any meaning. And I said to Jesse Armstrong, I was like, what is this? Is this like a, and he goes, oh, I think it's just an, yeah, 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 okay, never mind. 
And he was basically saying like, it's not really anything. You're just saying words. And I was like, perfect. Because sometimes you say shit just because you're saying it. And you think, why did I say that? That's life, right? Why did I do that? Because you're fucking 15. Yeah. That's great feedback. That's a great direction as far as I'm concerned. That is awesome. Um, what job would you be doing if this hadn't worked out, do you think? God, I have no skills. <laughs> I'm completely technology illiterate. So, like, I, I don't even know what a QR code scan thing is. Um, I don't, I think I would suck at anything. I, okay. I think it's going to sound really lame, but it's totally true. The, the job I feel like I'm actually meant for and the one I really want is stay at home dad. That's the one. I was going to say, you sounded like you had like the cooking and the taking care of the kids, like sorted. That's when I feel like I'm the most me. That's when I'm home doing that shit. And I wish that I've had, thankfully, large swaths of time where I've gotten to do that uh, because of my job or, you know, once because of lockdown, I didn't work for a year. So I was just a parent for that year and it was fantastic. Uh, and then when I, I get anxiety now when I go back to work because I now have to like do that part time and my wife takes on most of it now when I loved it being 50-50 and I'll even take more if I can, you know, and now I got to, the thing is, is it's not, it's giving her more work, but it's also giving away a lot of things. Um, that it, and that's kind of that's kind of hard to see. Like I'm at work and getting texts of things that are happening. I'm like, oh, that's a new development, and I didn't get to have it. You got to have it. Mm. That's extremely hard. And I don't, I don't, I really don't like that sacrifice, and I don't know how I'm going to adjust to that one. Yeah, yeah. What is your current? Oh, sorry. Who rather is your current hero? Uh, pass. All right. I don't believe in fucking hero. What do you mean heroes? Who's your hero? God knows, but I'm a journalist. I don't have to answer questions. So well, here you go. Get thrown back in your face. You have to consider. <laughs> I asked the question. If you haven't thought about it yourself, how would I answer this? You did it. Um, I don't know. You could go for the sort of crowd pleaser, my wife, or you could go for you know the childish um, superhero. Or, I don't know. Yeah, but you don't. You're not answering it yourself. No, well, if you want me to answer it myself, oh God, um, probably the friend that I had David Dave Grohl record that message for, and that's why I would go to those lengths because I think she was my hero. So her. See, you have a good answer. Shit, we just yeah. About- Look what I just did. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. are you gonna do? You took it. Damn. <laughs> are you skipping it then? I don't. I I, I feel stupid now because you gave such a good answer but i don't have one my, my answer is gonna be heroes are silly and then you gave came up with like a a really good one so i'm like okay well i guess i just don't have one then all right no worries you're allowed off the hook you've been a great sport so far you've only got two left so who would play you in the biopic of your life no one what a boring fucking movie that would be <laughs> <laughs> who the hell wants to see that no one <laughs> See, most people love that idea and they really get into it because most people are really narcissistic, honestly, when you ask them that question. Um, but again, you have been schooled by a Brit who would probably shrink in horror at the idea of nominating someone to play them. Seriously, a movie about me? I mean, I would say like myself, except I would just pass. And then I think every other actor that goes down the line would just pass on that fucking movie until they eventually <laughs> said, why are we making this? I just wouldn't do it. 
<laughs> okay um well there's a lot left of it to play out so you never know it's not going to be worthy of a movie no matter what <laughs> all right last one what is your greatest fear either personally or professionally I just it just occurred to me now that you and I aren't really having like a conversation this is public so why would I put my <laughs> fear out there why would I let the world know what I'm terrified of you know that's what Jennifer Coolidge said pretty much when I asked her that she said if we lived on Mars and it was just us I would tell you but I'm not going to. Yeah, because there's, yeah, no, no. Cause I got like, I got like the, the funny one, which is real. And then I got like the real one, which I can't even say with my mouth. I don't know. I mean, my guest that is on tomorrow who I won't name yet said very honestly, dying alone. And I was like, yeah, that's up there. It's pretty good. I don't know. That could be okay. Um, if, if you think about it in a nice way, like what if I was dying alone on a mountaintop, you know, getting drunk and screaming at God, wouldn't that be a cool way to go? All right. Dying alone could be great. I like it. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to thank you so much. You've been such a good sport for making it through all these questions and you have made me laugh way too much. And I have had my hand over my mouth for most of the time, trying not to ruin the sound. So thank oh, you. that's what that was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Kieran. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful speaking with you and good luck with the rest of the shoot. Oh, thank you very much. This was fun. Thanks. Thank you again, Kieran Colkin, for being on the podcast. And don't forget to check it out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and read our Awards Line magazine in print and at Deadline.com.